I'm Jesse Delo, your host of Madly Forever, a podcast in collaboration with The Fullest. Each episode, I'll help people move past their vision boards to create a life and relationship that they truly love. I, sometimes along with the help of my husband, Brian, will interview a variety of experts, psychologists, couples, and business partners to discover the science and secrets to successful compatibility. By pairing my expertise for manifestation with my background in therapeutic healing, I have manifested the life of my dreams. With this podcast, I aim to help others find their optimal alignment as well. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Madly Forever. I'm here with Brian, my husband. Hello. And the beautiful Michaela. Hello. <laughs> Michaela is an intimacy teacher and among many other things who travels the world, helping people step into their embodiment and live their most passionate relationships and lives, right? Yes, <laughs> very happily so. Yeah, so we're very lucky because Michaela just landed home from Europe last night and has driven down from Ojai to Santa Monica to be with us today. So we're very, very grateful. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so Michaela, do you want to start by just telling us a little bit about the day-to-day -day work that you do with people? Sure. Um, nowadays, it looks a little bit different than it has for many years, of course. But um, I started my career in counseling, mostly. Um, and I've done over 40,000 sessions with couple, mostly with couples, but also with individuals in the realm of relationship and sex. And um, parallel to the counseling, I've also been teaching and my main work these days is uh, teaching in the realms of intimacy, relationship, sexuality, yogic sexuality, which is a slightly different entrance into the same areas. And um, I work with men and women individually on embodiment so that they can be full in their relationships and their lives. So that's mm. the big piece. And then as a side um, note, so to speak, I work with a handful of very high performing individuals and that can be anything at the moment. It's uh, two very famous musicians, four actors and actresses and two uh, very um uh, I don't know what the word would be, very imposing figures in finance. Mm. So I work specifically in the area of high performance in the realms of um, plugging up energy leaks. And most energy leaks are in the realm of relationship and sex. So um, I work on that particular area and how to shore that area up and create integrity so that people have more availability of energy in their lives. Wow. That's awesome. So how did these people find you? You know, that's the interesting thing. Other than two people uh, who were one referred the other, they all came to me individually through other people. Word so of mouth. Word well, of, that's how I found you initially mouth. too. Yeah. I've been trying to see Michaela in person for <laughs> years now. So yeah. this is so incredible to be with you right now. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so let's say that Brian and I, as a couple, were mm -hmm. to seek you out in Ojai and come up there and work with you. What would that look like for us? What would go down? Well, there's two options, right? Um, so you could come to a workshop. I'll tell you what that would look mm -hmm. like. Or you could come and work with me personally. And that's a bit 
different. But so if you would come and work with me personally, what would happen is we would meet and um, we'd look at what are the areas that you'd like to work on, right? And typically areas that people come to me with, because I'm not really focused on um, communications issues, right? That I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, the difference between good relationship and a good sex life. So my job is mostly a good sex life. Um, and what I mean with that is not only sex, but the part of a relationship that has to do with having some excitement and some adventure and, uh, you know, that, that feeling of not going stale and kind of going into routine. And often people come to me when they've had children and they have want to re-engage romantically, but don't know how. And there's uh, times, you know, there's very little time and not a lot of interest or passion involved. So those are some of the areas that mm -hmm. I work with. So we would probably look at um, what's working, what isn't working. And my ideal scenario, this doesn't happen very often, but my ideal scenario is people come before it's too late. Mm -hmm. right? And um, because I've done this for so long nowadays, that happens more and more where people come actually in to get tools so it doesn't go bad. No. Or even people coming to just enhance what's good. They're like, oh, That's this is right. a resource. We have something great. Let's make it even that, better. Exactly. That's the ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. And that's the nice thing with people who I consider high performance. It's such a loaded word that mostly people who have a lot going on, um, they have kind of a view into the future and they do that versus waiting for the last moment when it's pretty much... Uh, me or the divorce lawyer, or hmm. both. It's but almost preventative care, like in any other. It yeah. is. It's a, it's a emotional and sexual hygiene, so to speak. Right. But That's really interesting. Yeah. So, what are some of the tools and, um, you know, directives that you give people? Well, I mean, some of it is very, very individualized, of course, right, and some of it there is a common thread that runs both through the workshops and through the private sessions. And so one of the things that usually happens is that when people have really good relationships, so they get along great, they have, uh, uh, you know, they have a good understanding, their communication is worked out, uh, they might be financially somewhat stable, so there's not a lot of worry there anymore. The thing that happens is... Um, that the passion has fizzled. So that's a common complaint, right? And a lot of people don't understand that that's actually not a problem, believe it or not, right? Your, the podcast is called Madly Forever, right? And part of Madly Forever is forever. And forever, meaning a long-term functioning relationship, has to um, have a foundation of relationship. And the... Um, mark of a good relationship is sameness. So it's super important to understand that and people don't understand that. The mark of a good sex life is opposition, right? And so that the opposite attracts um, rule is very true when it comes to sexual tension and we call it right. erotic friction because it's such a good term, right? It's a, it's a kind of a tantric term because that's what it is. It, there's friction, there's hotness, and that's what makes sex hot. But that very friction makes people fight. 
right? Right. And so you sometimes see this, right? People have horrible relationships, but they have crazy sex, makeup sex mostly, uh -huh. right? And then the, you have people that have incredibly loving relationships. It's just not that exciting. Right? But that is interesting because I feel like when, even if you have an amazing relationship, sometimes you need that little fight to just spark things up. So it's like people who aren't, able to express themselves in a passionate way miss yes. out on that opportunity to like totally. build up that fire i know brian and i can do that and we're pretty good at it <laughs> but i feel like we almost need it because we are so alike you know that is but see what you just said is one of the things that we would talk about right is when when is it passionate well the the thing is if you know that you need the spark and the friction, which we know, those are the principles, then what we could do, if I would be working with you one-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one, is we create artificial fights. That's so interesting. So it doesn't have to be the real thing. Can you give me an example? Well, so creatively speaking, what we would look at is what are your fights about, right? So you have certain disagreements or something. Um, you want him to do something. He doesn't want to back down is one of my <laughs> guesses here. <laughs> So, well, um, it's actually very, very infrequently now that we understand each other, you know, so much better than when we first met. Of course. That it's very yeah. infrequently that we fight anymore. But I feel like we both have a a, a fiery spark yes, in us. Yes, and that's wonderful. Right? It, it is. Yeah. It is because it, it like, it creates this fire, yes, like exactly. you said. Yeah. So we know that. So then what we'll do is we'll set up a scenario where you essentially, as a play, engage in that. Not as the real thing, huh. but as a play. <laughs> so it's not exactly a role play, but you both go, okay, well, when do we have that strong erotic tension? Well, it's, let's just say, I'm not saying that that's exactly how it is. It's when you want something and he wants something different and you start pushing and he pushes back and suddenly even though you're a little bit like nah, 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 you know that that <laughs> friction starts happening well if, because we don't want you to only have good sex when you're mad at each other because that sets the precedence of picking fights of course right? yeah which is not a, a good long-term solution no. but knowing what brings on that that friction we could then come up with kind of an artificial scenario where huh. you both engage in that friction for this specific purpose of having the hotness that's really interesting right like so for instance uh, you know this is all theoretical but right. we would find something we would find a topic that you fundamentally agree with but have different slants on or we would find something that he really wants to do and you don't want to do, but not fundamentally, right? Mm -hmm. And then something like something like um, I don't know. He wants to go and listen to uh, a stand-up comedian, and you don't like stand-up. How comedians. do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so now he goes. Uh, it's Friday night, we're going there. And you go, no, I don't want to go there. I want to stay home. And he goes, it's, it's good for you. And you go, no, 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 And so, and then, so he perseveres in a, you know, of course, this is a game in a way that he exposes you to something that you wouldn't want to do, mm -hmm. but actually would enjoy to do. Mm -hmm. So maybe he takes you to there some back road uh -huh. that you don't want to go because it's not direct or he makes you walk instead of, 
drive or whatever. So he creates the 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 restriction and just some adventure in a, a more correct boring correct. let's say exactly. life of goodness exactly. And then you you kind of tussle a bit, let's say, <laughs> right? And yeah, not not in a bad way, but you argue resist against a it. little, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. resist a little, and then suddenly you notice you have the same thing going on, but ultimately you're pulling on the same string mm -hmm. right so that would be one scenario or um you know you you engage in in some activity like even playing a game or so where you have to rub against each other versus cooperate hmm. and so like I, some some super competitive board game or something uh -huh. like that right so, so i'm, I'm making <laughs> we just did we're that pretty last good weekend. at that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so where where there's like suddenly you know mm -hmm. so there's the skin in the game but mm -hmm. not really right. Yeah. right so so we would um specifically look at how can we create that that friction that you enjoy uh -huh. without burning the house down so to speak uh -huh. it's right. so it's such a great way of thinking and, and different than what you'd expect because i think typically it's like we aren't uh our sex life isn't perfect we need to work on it and it's like well why don't you guys go to your favorite italian restaurant that you both <laughs> love and have a romantic night because holding of that holding hands holding right. hands yes. and that's the sameness that kind of yes. gets couples yes. to what we're talking and about that's the real problem and believe it or not a lot of couples counselors don't understand that that the recipe for spicing up the sex life is not creating more sameness uh -huh. right. right and so you hear these things well why don't you go and uh, spend more time together and touch some more maybe have some non-sexual touch for 15 minutes but there's that you become so much the same there's no reason to create a spark right and that's good for most of your life because when you look at how much sex people have versus how much life they live mm -hmm. right it's not necessary to be highly polarized at all times actually it's detrimental mm -hmm. uh, but when you want it um spending more time together and holding hands happily is not the way to go <laughs> right so you have to essentially find your um you know what do they call them flint those those little you know when you make a fire with one of those flint yeah, sticks like the, uh -huh. but you have to find like that what fluid. is it that creates that friction that creates the fire Right. And of course, and I'm sure that as you're together, like 20 years, that becomes we're we're still, you know, basically newlyweds, despite having a, a baby. Um, and it's easy to say, you know, everything, you know, is so easy. But, you know, 20 years down the line, that's actually why we're so interested in this subject, because, you know, on our wedding bands, it says madly forever. And Aww. that's that's where the idea came from. We just really want to always stay this engaged and this in love yeah. and this, you know, present for each other. So that's sort of where the study of this and the exploration began. And I think that's uh, that's half the game right there. Right. Because the other thing that comes with the sameness is a certain complacency, right? Where, yeah, now you have a baby and now you maybe don't want to do certain things anymore. Well, that's fine, but there's other things now that can be done. And in general, not only with, you know, um, couples, but in general, people narrow their options down more and more and more as they age of course and yes and they become boring killer yeah it's a bore <laughs> it's boring but also what happens um you know we sometimes hear people say that time goes faster as they age mm -hmm. well why that is 
in my opinion, is because you spend so much time on autopilot, mm. right? So you have so many routines that you can go through without having to be awake to them that your day just passes. You take the yeah. same, you know, trip to the grocery store and the same route. Right. You park yeah. in the same spot. You eat the same food. You watch this. And, and so you are essentially powered down from an awareness level for large portions of your day. And then the day is gone and then the next day is gone. But mm. th it doesn't have to be that way. And that start, that's what starts the madly forever is that you constantly create a new experience. And, that, and the most important thing, when we talk about um, what are the markers of a successful long-term relationship, one of them is you don't fold into each other. Mm. You don't become the same person. Uh, right, you, so keep your own personal identity keep your own yeah. personal identity spend time away from each other right spend time with other people come back into the house with new influences yeah read things the other person doesn't know about speak about that right expose the other person to new influences yeah and that's when you stay attractive to yourself and to the and other to person. others right yeah but it's it's very very interesting when people stop doing that and right and it, then they start thinking the same and they actually don't that's when people, you know, just absorb the ideas of the other person and then totally. just like go on autopilot, like you said, without yeah. check, fact checking or like exactly. seeing what's outside of their limited yes. bubble. bubble. Yes. Yeah. Which is like, you know, a lot of people's parents are doing that, you know? <laughs> yes. And, and a lot of people's parents are doing it. Right. But for instance, my parents who are uh, in their 70s, 77 to be exact, um, and have been married for over 50 years, still have an incredibly alive and polarized relationship. Hmm. And um, I still sometimes walk when I'm home in Austria and visit them. I might walk into the kitchen and kind of catch them on the tail end of a kiss or something like that. <laughs> so Which sweet. Is very sweet. Um, you know, sweet, not in the, oh, my little old parents, but, <laughs> but they're actually still, and I can tell, you know, sometimes they bicker. But they don't bicker in this resigned way. They bicker for the they care. for the fun of the for the, the friction, right? Right. Well, it, any sort of like caring enough to like conflict a little bit is important. Like you yeah. said, complacency. You'll just let something yeah, go because exactly. you don't Roll care. Roll your eyes and move <laughs> yeah. along, right? Or yeah. go into the other room. That's and when turn you've given up. When yeah, that's complacent. when you've given up. Right. And, and that's when there's no spark whatsoever because you don't even see the other person because you're exactly. like, don't even care yeah. what they. Yeah, you've, yeah. Just, you've just parked yourself to, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you don't have to do that. My parents still take separate vacations on occasion. Wow. So my, my dad yeah. will go golfing and my mother goes out somewhere. Or, and my dad still every Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not quite sure anymore, goes and meets with his male friends. They have this ongoing thing that he's had yeah. through his entire career where he'd go every Tuesday evening. And he still does that. And uh, my mother will go by herself to my sister who lives in Switzerland and drive the car for eight hours on the freeway wow. so they're both speed. very independent super independent yeah which is great for their own longevity yeah. as well as their the longevity of the relationship exactly yeah. and so the the madly forever is is a responsibility it doesn't happen right you have to cultivate it yeah you know? well that's what we were talking about we were talking about this a little bit before with you too is that you know madly forever this concept is like the blue zone concept, right? Of trying to piece together what are the factors 
that contribute to a long, everlasting, happy, satisfying relationship and sort of researching, coming at it as a researcher to, to piece it together. And so for you as someone who travels the world leading these workshops, I'd be curious to hear your take on, you know, on a global level, Mm. what are the, you know, differences around the world Mm. in, in satisfaction levels in relationships long-term? You know, I would say that um, when you look at the issues people have around sexuality, the spark relationships, they're pretty similar in the areas that I go. And um, the areas I see is Europe and the UK, mm-hmm. the US and Australia. So it's, of course, different mm-hmm. in maybe Japan or, right. you know, uh, because it's a completely different set of cultural circumstances, there is big cultural differences between, let's say, Americans and Europeans in the level of relaxation and satisfaction, which, of course, influences the relationship. And one of the interesting things is that that when you look at um, pleasure, for instance, right, the ability to be sensually engaged and aroused, let's say, and aroused not only sexually, but alive, like have life in the body, is uh, directly related to how much stress you have, of course, and how much inflow there is. Mm -hmm. And the more um, pressure and stress and overwhelm and social media and, you know, tension comes at you, the more your, your entire being has to focus down so that you don't get overwhelmed. And one of the first things that goes is pleasure, of course. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women all over the world report very low libido and very low, uh, you know, sensual and sexual pleasure because of that. And so um, one of the things that the Europeans have that neither the Australians nor the Americans have is that they have a relative comfort of lifestyle. Because um, in Europe, certain things are taken care of. Everybody has health insurance. When the survival in, needs are the met. The survival needs yeah. are met. Nobody, nobody by choice has to be homeless right? in, in, in the developed parts of Europe. And so you can tell in Europeans, when you look at them relationally, their bodies are a little bit more open. They have a little bit more available attention for their partners. And their um, resources, like their, their emotional resources are a little bit more ample right? mm-hmm. there's a little bit more abundance in what people can bring yeah they live more in the moment I feel totally like. and they also don't have um you know that there's just basic concerns they don't have so there isn't this whole bunch of energy that's siphoned off just to keep alive so to speak right, right? and that energy often is put into relationship and also into social engagement. Mm-hmm. For instance, I just came back from Holland and the venue uh, we teach there is directly on the biggest park in Amsterdam. And the park is packed, packed every evening, five o'clock. You know, I mean, every day, everything there is bikes. So there's bikes as far as you can see. And people are just laying on the grass and there's two, you know, pairs and then there's groups and, you know, some people... Uh, you know, drink, some people smoke, some Mm -hmm. people play music, some people play ball, but everybody has the ability to just, just, you know, be. And it's not, 
okay, it's six o'clock. I now need to go to the bank and the grocery store and then go right. online. And, uh, it's, and they it, and they spend time together, just yeah. unwinding. There's community. There's huge. They're community. not alone in their car driving yeah. on the freeway, exactly. like. Listening. It's contagious it's because yeah. we went to contagious. Europe this summer and it doesn't take many days or hours to fall right into that, no. that way of being. No. Yeah, and no. it takes a long time yeah. when you return yeah. stateside to exactly get back into the mix yeah. here. Yeah, we got into a huge funk when we came back. We were traveling for almost three, three weeks or something. Oh, yeah. nice. And we came home and we were, just, <laughs> yeah. it was hard. It was yeah. hard to adjust back. We were, we were so excited to get home by the end, but then we got back and we're like, huh, like just feels different. There's a different energy. Um, Very much so. And, and one of the markers, when you talk about, you know, um, researching what works in relationship, one of the biggest research um, areas is of course in, in that realm is, um, what are, you know, the specific markers in long-term relationships? And the number one marker in long-term relationships is generosity. Hmm. That's interesting. Can you speak more to that? Well, when you think about what makes a relationship work, it is um, allowing for things to happen and, and allowing for the other person to have an opinion of their own and a life of their own and needs of their own. And then actually giving to that, mm -hmm. right? And so that's general. That's one aspect of generosity. Right, not being selfish and having it all be in your and best interest. Why don't you give yeah. me this? And why are you not doing this? And why didn't you do the dishes? And da, 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 da. when then the other person says, look, I want to go out tonight. That, that moment where you pause and you go, you know what? He had a really rough day. Absolutely. And I think that's a good idea. And to say, yeah. I'll stay home and Absolutely. take care of business, right? And that's generosity and it doesn't cost anything, right? And it's a generosity of spirit, meaning allowing somebody to have their quirks and right. have their ideas and express themselves, even though that might not be exactly how you see it. Uh, that's another option around generosity. But also the thing that when you said you traveled through Europe and you are, you know, you missed it, one of the things that the Europeans are very good at because they have a, a surplus or they're at least not constantly empty is um, time is given, right? Mm -hmm. Generosity of time is given. You sit in, it, yeah. in Italy, for instance, right? It's true. You sit, you have a long meal. Nobody pushes you out of the restaurant, hands right. you a check yeah. the moment they've served you your last coffee, right? I mean... I remember when I came here first, which is a long time ago, I was so offended. It's a really good restaurant. And, and essentially the check comes with your time coffee, is money. right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, really? But it's that kind of generosity on a, on a human to human level where you just allow for a little bit of extra time little bit of extra space it's so true and I know Brian you say that like that's your goal in life I feel like you always say that is just to be as generous as possible for sure yeah. and like you know sometimes business doesn't always allow for that time and space right. and especially you know capitalism in America like it's very much like efficiency yes you know so it's difficult to create that, that yes. space you know yes but that bodes well for your relationship <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. yes well I think also we both a hundred percent want the other person to be yeah. as happy as possible. So 
Well, and you know, mostly those things that make the difference long term don't cost much time or money because it's as simple as you walk by your partner and they're on the computer working on something and you're going to the kitchen anyway. Why wouldn't you bring them a cup of tea? Right. right? <laughs> or why wouldn't you put that sandwich there because right. they haven't eaten yet? Or, right. you know, why wouldn't you, when somebody comes home after a stressful day, sit on the sofa with them and massage their feet while they tell you about their woes? Why not? To the right? most imper- important person in your life. In, exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, why be, be a little stingy? Thoughtful. Right. right. But there's no reason for but that. But I love what you're saying about the generosity of space, giving someone space to be themselves, like giving them permission and space to just be because I think that's what someone feels free within a relationship. And I think that's successful long term is when someone feels stifled that they can't be themselves, then of course they're not going to be comfortable long term because that wears on someone. Because we all change. We all change and grow and move. And if you're stifled in how you were when you first met in a relationship, as you change, there's nowhere really to go. Right, right. And making that commitment to each other when you get together that like no matter what, way we go just as long as we communicate it to each other so we're on the same page that allowing each other to do yes and and what's very important to understand is that in relationships growth doesn't happen at the same time right so when you have two people and they're joined in relationship now there is a growth that happens within the relating right so you learn each other's quirks and you learn to get smooth in the communication and you know you learn that if you say it one way that doesn't work but if you say it the other way it's perfect right so you have the the relationship develops a dynamic of its own hopefully a good one but then aside from that through the relationship because we have childhood patterns and relational patterns we come in with through the relationship each human will bump up against their own growing edges so just leading edges right so you'll you'll get to a point where something will happen in your own system that doesn't happen for your partner and it's really really important to understand that usually that that doesn't happen at the same time so it's not like one person grows a bit and then immediately the other person grows at the same time it's and more in the same direction in the same direction <laughs> yeah. right it's more that usually one person starts somewhere and then the other person isn't there because it's not their thing. And then the big danger is to go, well, you are not growing or you are not doing that thing that I need you to do. You're not as conscious as I am because, of course, once one has a growth spurt, you think it's all, you know, you're so advanced (laughs) till the next growth spurt, of course. So one part of generosity is to allow for that unfolding to happen with a long-term view and not go, well, this isn't what we agreed to when we got married. Come back into your little, right. you know, drawer. <laughs> right, what you're supposed to be. be right? yeah. And, and uh, asking questions and being very curious versus being judgmental is super important mm-hmm. right? because um, these things usually happen with one person having that growth spurt and then the other person having a growth spurt. And like you said, in an ideal world, it at least happens in the same direction. But sometimes it doesn't. And it doesn't have to. Because there's actually no reason, as long as you have a certain overlap of that Venn diagram, mm-hmm. right, uh, that's acceptable to you, there can be vast areas where you have diverging interests and growth 
spirits that don't actually affect the relationship. And on the contrary, they make the relationship much more interesting. Right, How especially if it's a relationship that starts with the sameness, which is the good, it's a good kind of stable yes. way to start a relationship. Yes. Having a few areas where there's not sameness yes. gives you that spark. It's so good. You don't need the artificial spark. No, exactly. You don't have to create a, a, a fake <laughs> Also, yeah. I feel like the trajectory of a man and a woman's involvement is sort of different. Like there's stages of life that might be, you know, even just, you know, puberty is not lined up for men and women, That's right. you know. And then fertility isn't lined up for right, men and women. Right. Yeah, and midlife yeah. crisis. They might yeah. just be a little bit, there's different triggers at different stages. Yeah, that's definitely true. And once you have a child, right, as you well now know, things change dramatically and that can't be denied. Right. And that doesn't course. have to be the end of a certain era. It's just other things have to also be taken into account. Yeah. So what do you, what are your, um, when you work with people with kids, what is sort of your approach to helping them navigate this new chapter? Well, I think of all the things that I would say makes the biggest difference is that you are not placing expectations on yourself and each other. Hmm. Right? That's really actually the most important thing because, um, I don't know exactly how to say this without it sounding very snarky. <laughs> um, when you look on Instagram, and we both are on Instagram mm -hmm. and enjoy Instagram very much, right? But when you look at Instagram, uh, for instance, right, it is hard to remember that not every woman bounces back into perfect shape right. and perfect sex drive four weeks after birth. Right. And it's also important to remember that every celebrity we see who bounces back in four weeks is probably photoshopped. Right. Right. And paying a team and, of... And paying an extreme price yeah. and, and, and also paying a team of experts to make her look amazingly good. Right. And that's really, really important to understand that um, the situation of one person or one mother in this case and one couple isn't the situation of another. Mm -hmm. And a lot of suffering comes from the fact that people don't want to accept that when you have a child, other things are more important than great sex. I'm sorry to say it, right? For a little while. For but a little while. I'm not, <laughs> saying, comes I'm not saying for years. <laughs> for a couple I'm, I'm of saying months. for a couple of months, yeah. right? And there is no well, there's reason. Well, there's a physiological reason for that. Of course, yeah. because you don't want to get pregnant while you're breastfeeding. Exactly, and also you're just trying to keep a baby alive. alive. <laughs> and that is exactly yeah. right, right? Yeah. And biology trumps everything. Yeah. Sadly, but, yeah. but, but so. I will say to encourage people that, you know, Having a child did not put a damper yeah. on our relationship. No, and it doesn't have all. to. Yeah. It, it only does when you get dissatisfied with the status quo instead of enjoying yeah. the way it is. Yeah, I but think it deepened it tremendously, totally. personally. Because you see somebody <laughs> give birth, right? And then you see a new life. And I mean, giving birth is one of those very freaky things, right? Where <laughs> there's a woman with a big belly and next moment you have a child. <laughs> And it, it, it's, it's so almost, surreal. I mean, even so just surreal, right? Even the fact that we're, you know, we start as that yeah. little sort of. And then there yeah, we are, right? And that's to be cherished. And that bonds a relationship stronger than getting it on four weeks after, you know, four weeks. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's like a blip in time and that's not the focus. Exactly. Sure. And that's, and so 
in that time with new children, the cultivation is on the relationship end, not on the sexual end. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when you've cultivated the relationship end, the trust deepens. And the deeper the trust, the hotter the spark can run again, because one of the big aspects of um, the spark going is mistrust, hmm. right? Mistrust through certain behaviors. Mm -hmm. That's everything from so not feeling safe, just it sounds not, like. Hmm? Not feeling safe. Not feeling safe, yeah. Not feeling like you can express yourself mm -hmm. or in the extreme case, feeling like somebody's going somewhere else. That's mm -hmm. the super extreme mm -hmm. case. But there's all these levels of it, you know, not saying saying one thing and then doing something else and all of that. That's right. that's the trust breakers in a relationship that make it so um, sex is fraught with... Um, with mistrust and when you can't relax anymore, you can't open up as much anymore. Right. So new baby time is for bonding and it's for trust uh, creating. And then you enter into the sexual domain in a much deeper way because you've added a whole additional layer to the engagement, which is very valuable and, and, and good. So no babies, it doesn't have to be like, Oh God, you're doomed forever. Give yourself a few months for heaven's Right, and sake. see the bigger picture. Exactly. Yeah, I think people need to zoom out. Yeah. And if you are committed to a lifetime with someone, know that this is just a chapter exactly. in our evolution. Exactly. Yeah, and how yes. we handle it is going to determine yeah. that we can be stronger and yes. better. Exactly. It's not yeah. an inconvenience to give a few months of your life entirely to your baby. Right. No. Yeah. Right. It's no, it's not. the, it, it's, it's, yeah. 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 And it's super rewarding. I mean, it's, it's Super there are many aspects to life and I mean, it's a very special time. Yeah, exactly. And so that to me would be the t number one tip there is it's not about how you respark the sex life. That's a separate issue. It's that you give yourself the time and that you don't put unrealistic expectations mm -hmm. on the relationship and you cherish it for what it is, mm -hmm. which is incredible time. And it's never going to come again with that particular child. Oh, it goes so quickly. Yeah. You don't even remember it after it's yeah, gone. Exactly. <laughs> it's a yeah. blur. And, you know, then over time, you can uh, employ the same strategies that always work, doing different things again, coming together uh, after having spent time apart, um, engaging in some kind of a tussle that enlivens both people. Having, you know. Well, it is kind of interesting because. It's as if you're reborn when you become a parent. Yes. So it's like you're meeting yes. this person. I'm meeting Brian as a father now. Yes. Which is a whole new version of him that he didn't, he wasn't before. So it's like you have this new element That's in your partner. Totally right. That it's is actually very, very sexy because yes. you're like, wow, this is a side of you that has just been born right. and I'm getting to experience to see you evolve yes. as well, which is yes. really cool. Yes. And nobody else has ever seen him as a father before. It's true. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And with each stage of our daughter's development, it's like she requires a different skill set and a different, you know, layer of us to evolve as well. Yeah. And that's the beauty of having children when you really want to have children, mm -hmm. right? Meaning when, when you say, yes, I'm going to do this full on versus... Oh my God, what an inconvenience, right? Which right. I also know people of right. because you get the, you get to see yourself in a new light all the time mm -hmm. and you get to feel something outside of yourself. That's 
essentially taking precedence over the petty concerns mm -hmm. that is us, right? We all have that. Uh, because when you are tired and, you know, still recovering from birth and your child is crying, it doesn't matter there's how... There's no choice. There's <laughs> no choice. Yeah. And that has something very... Uh, it has a discipline to it, um, in a positive way, discipline that orients you towards something that, spiritually speaking, you would say towards God or the divine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because your child... You're in service. Is, you're in yeah. service of that. And that that adds a whole other dimension to mm -hmm. life and relationship, of course. Absolutely. So I'm going to switch topics a little bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was listening to another podcast that you were on and I learned that you and your husband live in separate houses on the same property. Yes. Is that right? That's right. And I've been hearing about this trend um, in some couples that have been together a long time, maybe one partner snores or something and they have a separate room or I'm just fascinated. I find it interesting. Um, and I'm curious your take on and why you do it and, and your take on if this is something that's happening more frequently now. I would definitely say that I've seen it happen more. And, um, also I've worked with people in very long-term relationships where it was like you were describing you just want to maintain, you know, goodness in the relationship. So they've been together for a long time and they're constantly looking at what else can be done. So it's really rich and really full. And most of those people don't live together or at Super least have separate bedrooms and separate, you know, uh, arrangements. I've heard of separate bathrooms yes, and I understand that's a good one too. <laughs> to keep the yes, spark alive, yes. like, like your own, like, you know, yeah, sanctuary well, of a bathroom. Exactly. Well, that's an important one. You know, most people or many people can't have separate rooms because they don't have the of option course, of yeah. different bedrooms sure. and stuff like that. But when you can, creating individually in individual areas within the home is hugely helpful because one of that that you know one of the sameness things is if everything's melding together and then you know one of the first things that i ask people when they're in real trouble as far as the sexual stuff goes is if they use the bathroom at the same time mm -hmm. because nothing kills passion faster than when you constantly <laughs> pee in front of your partner or worse <laughs> i have a good story about that i once i once was um asked to uh, counsel a couple and they were in real trouble but that you know uh, that's a different story but they had toilets next to each other no way like no, no, i'm not they kidding. would go to the bathroom at the yes. same time they had toilets next to each wow. other with a bookshelf each on one side wow and a gorgeous view it was on the top <laughs> top uh, part of a big house and it that particular act of building toilets next to each other said everything about their relationship, which did not last uh, predictably. So yes, They're high fiving. So. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yes, <laughs> you don't want to go any further in that imagination. But that's the extreme example of that, right? But there's little things, right? Um, constantly getting changed in front of each other, constantly brushing teeth next to each other. In the short term, it's cute. In the long term, it makes it so you're no longer relating to the other person as a sexual human being. Mm -hmm. right? You need some mystique. Yes. Like some and sort of... also you need a bit of space for your nervous system to unfold, right? So it's are you like... a fan of cuddling or, or not? <laughs> I'm a fan of cuddling when you are wanting to cuddle. 
I, in the book that I just wrote, there is a whole chapter on relationships, and one of the one of the subtitles titles is "Stop touching!" <laughs> exclamation mark. And why is that? Because when you constantly touch each other in an unconscious way. It's like two magnets rubbing together. You're rubbing all kind of polarity off because you're essentially petting somebody like they're your dog or something. And that unconscious touch makes you um, less and less sensitive to that thing that happens when two people touch. Huh. Right. So it's kind of you get so habituated to that kind of almost sometimes you see people almost grope each other as a way to affirm that everything's okay. I can tell you that when I teach workshops and it's couples workshops, you can tell who has the worst sex life by how much they touch in the introduction. Wow. That's really, so you feel like they're compensating. Compens it's like, are you still here? You're still here? You're still here? You're still here? <laughs> so it's I'm almost here. like a, the here. attachment theory. It it's is like a bit like that. Needing yes. to like... Yeah. Just make sure, like, Just, not giving space. Exactly. And that mm. is pretty damaging to the sexual spark. Mm. Now, I'm a big fan of cuddling when you decide to cuddle. Right? There's nothing wrong with saying, you, me, on the sofa, uh, nice movie, <laughs> drink, let's cuddle. Right? That's, that's amazingly good and it's super healthy for your immune system and everything. What I'm talking about is sitting somewhere at the DMV and just like rubbing and kissing for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> which people do yeah. right? it, it, as a way to well, affirm Well, I feel like in the things. beginning of a relationship, you can't help not of to. Of course. That's when you're like attached and it, the magnet's so strong yes, that you but just... but by then you still have that spark every time you touch. But when that spark no longer goes, the answer is not to touch more to see if you can reignite uh -huh. it, right? The That's charge so interesting. Gone. <laughs> That's really fascinating. So I'm a big fan of cuddling and I call it conscious touch versus unconscious mm -hmm. touch, okay. right? It's the same with kissing. If you constantly pick on each other, a kiss doesn't mean anything anymore, right? Because you get habituated to that empty thing. And sometimes um, when I'm working with people, you know, I have them not touch or kiss at all for like a day or two till they're so keyed up about it and then when they do they often report that it's like kissing somebody for the first time uh, well that's almost like tantric right yeah yeah those Tant are tantric principles right. in in general right that the the, the, the poli polarity is a tantric principle mm -hmm. right it, it goes back to you know god knows how long but coming back to separate bedrooms yeah. or separate houses um i'm a very big believer and this is one of those things that's, of course, seen through my lens because of the way I'm built, right? But I'm a big believer in having as much space as one needs so that the nervous system is available, not only for the relationship, but also for creativity and general activity. And I just happen to be one of those people. I'm an extreme introvert. Not that you would know that when I go out and teach, but I can only replenish when I'm entirely by myself and I need a lot of space and time and I'm very creative in all kinds of ways and the more time I have to spend with people any person the less of me becomes available for that and I know other people like that particularly in the in the area of performers and musicians and writers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who just need a lot of space and need a lot of freedom and so when two people want that 
it's good to, to be able to allow for that. That's one of those generosity things as well. So that's not for everyone. And I certainly wouldn't make that a, this is one of the 10 tips to keep a relationship going. It's only if it's something that your unique yes. composition yes. requires. It's only right. if both of you can handle that. Mm-hmm. My husband's extremely extroverted. Mm-hmm. So he likes having people around. He likes having people over, which is not my preferred mode of existence. Um, so you're like, go do that in your house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and and also he goes out a lot more, and and you know he's super social. I am not. Right? So we've just arranged it in that way, and there's you know drawbacks to that as well. But I'm barely ever home as it is. Right. Um, right. Yeah, you travel a I lot. I travel a lot. How often also, are you on the road? I would say nine months out of the year. Wow. And is your husband ever with you during those nine months? No, no, that would be catastrophic (laughs) because I don't have any free attention. You know, it's all pointed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. He also travels and it's been particularly um, heavy duty for the last little while because my house burned down in the, you know, in the Thomas fire. I'm sorry. His house didn't burn down, but my house burned down. Wow. Um, yeah, but that was a classic example, right? For three or four weeks after the fire, he had broken his leg two days before the fire. It's a whole, this is an epic uh. saga that you don't want to necessarily know right now, but he couldn't walk properly. So he stayed with me and, you know, it was a disaster zone and I had left, lost everything. And I mean, it was just crazy. And so we lived together and, it, you know, and I cared for him with the leg and, you know, I had to make him food and, yeah, I mean, it was just a crazy time. But four weeks in, we were both like, oh, yeah, ready for okay. your space. <laughs> you can go back there now, right? And then, and and that was relaxing for both of us because it gave us a little bit more space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I think, really important. Also, I think when people get married a bit later in life, like I did, I didn't get married till I was thirty-seven. I was a fully formed human being. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, really fully formed, and I have very specific requirements when it comes to um, decor and how I like things and colors. I'm crazy about colors and stuff like that. It's not necessarily what you want to do to a man. (laughs) He has a much more zen, everything's white and sparse kind of a lifestyle. And and, you both get to have what you want. And that's the thing. And he can have his stuff wherever he wants it. And I don't ever have to go, can you put this away or, you know. Well, take- it's it's just a nice option yeah. to know that that exists for people who wouldn't necessarily think of themselves as being able to be in a long-term committed relationship. That's because, right. Because they think of themselves as someone who needs their own space and needs their yes. own environment. But there is that solution yes. that you can have it both ways yes. if that's what you want. Exactly. The Ohio compound. The Ohio compound. <laughs> but you know, we lived in West Hollywood and we had two bedrooms. And instead of having an office, which I would have liked, at back then I still had an office actually, but you know, like a home office, um, we had separate bedrooms. And then it was really cool because we'd sit in the kitchen and it would be like, your place or mine. <laughs> and right. most of the week we would sleep in the same bed. But when I would come home and I'd be exhausted or I just didn't feel like, dealing with anything i'd go in my room with all my stuff and i gather my dogs on my bed with right. my books right and whatever put face cream on and right and, and you undisturbed. had a retreat yeah and i had a retreat and i think that's definitely something that 
in some way can be done even if you have special um you know challenges right so i want to ask you you said you work with high profile people with um helping them to seal up their their places where energy is draining mm -hmm. from them mm -hmm. and can you speak about that just in general for anyone because everyone has places where energy is leaking out and relationships where energy is maybe being wasted yeah. or not utilized yeah. in the best way yeah everything that that um applies to high profile or high performance people applies to all of us right it's just usually not as exaggerated yeah. <laughs> right i mean it's so crazy stuff comes at you when you're well known right i mean oof, that, that's a whole other story um so what what we're looking at when we look at that is where areas of um either upset or um unclear boundaries and that's always a good thing to look at for every human it's like where when you when you let's say look at your calendar and there's a meeting with somebody on that calendar and something in you goes ah, at that that ugh, that cringe that's the moment to go why right why do i have that cringe and pursue that line of thinking let's say into well every time i meet with this person i feel bad afterwards or they always ask me for things that I can give them and then I feel uh, like I wasn't generous or mm -hmm. they always take a bit more than I want to give them or, you know, like like you, you pinpoint where you are compromised in your perception of yourself or in the person's perception of you. That's one area, right? And often that happens in relationships, maybe not your intimate relationship, but it can and often in people um, who are actively dating there's a lot of that right where they haven't settled down and it's like one person after another where you see the same pattern emerging mm -hmm. um, of energy being taken or too much given is the other option usually it's women who give way too much but not always right and where you feel constantly drained then there's of course patterns where you get a hit of something followed by being constantly drained you know and and certain cycles around that so um, a big area of um, engagement there is learning how to set proper boundaries super important yeah. and then from the learning of setting proper boundaries it goes to how can you actually um, feel in your own body when you need to set a boundary so because often what happens is people don't know they've been had, so to speak, till three hours later, because they're not aware of the signals that the body sends. So a lot of the work I do has to do with sensitizing the system so your body becomes part of the board of advisors, so to speak. And it's not just your head talking or your emotion talking, but it's also the body going, uh-uh, 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 you know, and, mm -hmm. and you getting that signal while you're still engaged with that person and not three hours later right which like by the, the way the body's intelligence exactly yeah. the body's genius really yeah. which by the way is that's a whole other you know uh, topic but that's the key to consent hmm. right? yeah because the body knows when it wants to open up or not yeah right but if you're too numb to hear your body signals hmm. um 
you are not reliably able to tell what's actually happening till maybe much later. And at mm -hmm. that point, it's too late. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the sensitizing and the listening to the body signals is a very, very big area um, of shoring up trouble. Right? Mm -hmm. Trouble emotionally, uh, mentally, financially, right? All kinds of things mm -hmm. happen when you don't uh, hear the signals that are very loud and clear in your body. And right. You can't but then them. there's like the obvious, like, you know, some parts of, of work are stressful and you don't like it. And right. your body's like, ugh, I don't want to do that. Ugh, yes. I don't want to sit in this meeting or I don't want. So it's like, is someone not going to go, you know, or they're going to quit their job? Or how do they, if there's stuff that they have to do as part of what, is required of them. No, you might not change anything other than Just have awareness, awareness uh -huh. of the cost of things. Uh -huh. But this is true for relationship as much as it is for business. You can't kid yourself about what things cost, right? And there's a cost-benefit analysis, so to speak, in everything we do. Like, for instance, you have a meeting that you don't like, uh, but it gives you the money that you need. Well okay mm -hmm. right then that's a pretty clear-cut thing you you can't just say oh follow your bliss and quit your job because then you have a whole other set of circumstances mm -hmm. but you can say this particular meeting takes a lot out of me and mentally prepare physically well, or prepare say, or and this is what i did in my practice i eventually went wow this particular engagement costs me a lot more so than it gives you. More than it gives me, except if I charge more. Right. right? Make for it instance, worth it. Right. Yeah. So I would go, how much money would I have to get for this particular engagement so that I would feel compensated beyond? Right. And, and that's what I would do. And then, of course, what happens is when you do that, um, two things happen. The people who are really intent on just draining you fall away. Because they're no longer, you know, they're not willing to pay what they should pay. Right. And the people who are willing to do it value it differently and probably treat it a bit differently. Right. Because it comes at a higher it price. It comes at a higher and price. And that comes back to knowing your worth. That's exactly right. So it's not that you say, I can't do this job. You go, whoa, every time in this meeting, this is what happens. Why? And then you go, well, this person always... Let's say I had this once. I would go to these board meetings in London and there was a woman there who would, I always felt like she was out to get me. Eventually she got me, but that's a different <laughs> story, right? But I always knew that. So there was always a part of me that had to manage something. And I would always sit to, and I'm going this because I would always sit on her left. And, I, and at the end of the meeting, I'd always be crunched up on my right side and I would track it eventually. And then what I did is I would sit across from her. And then my body wasn't so reactive because I had the chair between me and her, uh, the table between me and her. And I knew what it was. And then at the end of the meeting, I'd go and shake out my body and do things and have a bath and understand that that particular woman caused a certain kind of stress in my body. And I could remedy it in the aftermath. Right. And that's all it takes. It's being aware of what things cost. So right. To speak. I love that. I yeah. Too. And, and I think the third thing that when you mentioned the people fall away and everything else, the 
maybe the most important thing is what happens to you. Because when you yes. feel like you're fairly compensated, whether that's monetary or otherwise, the stress of the situation goes away because you feel right. like it's fair. You don't have the anger. It's like you right. feel like you're you're getting what you deserve for doing something right. that may not be exactly right. what you want. Exactly. And the last piece of that is that <laughs> um, when you have to do something and you know you have to do something, this is something I learned the hard way. Um, and this is something that I work with. Uh, and this is something I would say that my work with high performing people emphasized is when you have to do something that's rough to do, you can't have resistance about it. And, and that in itself is such a secret, right? It's like when you go, Oh God, that meeting, I don't want to do it. Oh my God. Uh, nah, nah, uh. What you're doing is you're essentially um, going against the current, the stream. And so it's really, really hard. You're pulling two different things. You have to go forward and you, ha and you want to go back. So it's essentially like driving the Ferrari with the handbrake on, right? right? You're creating all this extra friction and that friction is the energy leak. So true. So if I mean, you want to get a running start yeah. before going you up a steep kind of hill. Dive in and I mean, it reminds you know. me of like when I don't want to work out and I go to yoga class the whole time. I'm like, I'm going to go out the back door. I'm going to, how am I going <laughs> to sneak out? I'm looking at the class. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to leave after this song. And then by the end of it, like the class is over and I've completely blown it. Of course, I'm not going to walk out of the class, but yeah. I didn't benefit from it whatsoever. Yeah. I wasted an hour. Yes. I was just like plotting the whole time. Yes. So, yeah, I feel like anything, you miss any opportunity totally. by you, trying you to resist it. you drain yourself. And that's yeah. where all the excess energy goes that you could use for something else. Yeah. you could just do yoga and start thinking about the creative stuff you want to do afterwards. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And have an amazing yeah. hour to just, you know, yeah. instead of being like, how can I get out? What am I going <laughs> to Well, I'll tell you one of my big secrets around this, which is that when I do something, I learned this from my teaching partner. He's uh, an unbelievably disciplined practitioner and everything he does he's he, I mean he knows about practice like nobody's business and he's been doing stuff he started martial arts with age three he was on the Scottish fencing team he's he just finished like six weeks of meditating four hours a day wow. you know like he's like his shit is together right <laughs> and I learned this from him and it's something that I've kind of a little bit modified for my own purposes when that the thought to stop comes, I'll go, okay, um, fine. If, if it shows up two more times, I'll stop. So I give myself permission to sneak out the back door and I'll go, I'm going to continue. If that, if it shows up two more times, I'm out. <laughs> and that interestingly enough makes a big difference because you mm. still feel like you can Right. But you don't have to, you know, force against an impulse. Huh. That's because sometimes yeah. you really should leave and there's sometimes something else. You should leave. And sometimes I do. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 the, the the bargain is, oh God, I really want to leave. Okay. Let's just continue. If it shows up two more times, we're right. out. And and that makes Jesse's going to leave every yoga class with me. <laughs> that's going fine. Forward now. You know, no. but that's, but that's just the other I thing. love yoga. It's just that sometimes you you have other things you have to do. Totally. You like, you know your head's not there. It's hot in yeah. there. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's the other thing, right? To consider when you look at um, leaked energy. At some point, if that's a common thing, and it happens all the time, 
then you might consider a different setup, mm -hmm. right? Because only uh, somebody who has a lot of energy to waste constantly bangs their head against the wall, right? Right. So maybe yoga needs to happen at a different time of the right. day. Right. Well, I think what I found is that the longer classes are too long for yes. me, and it makes me impatient and antsy. Exactly. I need an hour class. And hour that's class, it. Yeah. and maybe. Maybe it's the last thing you do in the day and not the first thing you right. do, right? right. Or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe you have somebody come to the house so you don't have the going back and forth or whatever. You figure it out. You figure yeah. it out. And that's that's the thing that applies to everything we've talked about. No two people, no two relationships and no two sets of circumstances are alike. And applying the common tropes of how things should be either societally or religiously or politically is the cause of a lot of that that right. suffering and that um discomfort because you're a grown human being we live in unprecedented times right i mean we have so much more freedom than any of our ancestors ever had not everywhere in the world but here right yeah um, you can make that call according to the way you are wired so that everything that you are about and all your gifts and everything that makes you you can be used. I love that because I feel like so many people just try to fit themselves into a box, yeah. right? We just try yeah. to like squish ourselves into Has what society wants. Way, yeah, right? but you really can have the most vibrant existence that like wakes you up yeah. in every single way. Totally. And it doesn't need to look like other people think it needs to look. Right. Right. Yeah. Giving yourself permission to be yeah. free to be yourself. Yeah. And then th let the chips fall as they may. Right. In that in that sense. Like, for instance, the area I live in in Ojai is like half really um, bohemian, artistic, wild people and half people who inherited their properties from their parents, grandparents, great grandparents who homesteaded. So it's like a mix of total salt of the earth and sometimes very religious, sometimes very Republican mm -hmm. and uh, not everybody, but and, and very bohemian, freewheeling people. And so when my neighbors got hip to the fact that we didn't live in the same house because we built that second, it's not, you know, it's not, a, it's a shed essentially, right? Um, that... You could definitely see that that caused some questions. And it certainly, I know my cleaning lady, right? And, and, and the people who take care of my animals and, and the people who are my farm helpers, they all know what's happening, right? And they all kind of wonder, but nobody says anything and it's widely accepted because that's the way we do it. And we seem to be happy and we're not hurting anyone else, right? So it's right. not up for discussion. Well, I think people take a cue from that. Like if you are happy and you are radiating positive energy, people are like, you know, something, you know. Something's working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about um, your new book that just <laughs> came out, The Wild Woman's Way. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, how it can benefit couples and women and what men. it's about and men, men. <laughs> well and you men. know very interestingly i had a lot of men um review it and and write me and say oh this is so incredible because i got to get an insight and that's how i wrote it and in the introduction i'm writing that i wrote it for women because i happen to have a woman's body and so 
uh, it's kind of my attempt to condense the last 30 years of both work and my personal exploration into something that's usable and that essentially does what we talked about, which is give people permission to become the best of what they are versus trying to become something that they're not. And women are prone to that, of course, because it's all about fitting in the mold that makes us desirable for the perfect man. You know, one day in the future, the prince will come, that kind of stuff that's very, very deeply ingrained still. And so uh, the book was meant for women and women's bodies and the particular um, challenges that come with living a very heady, focus-oriented life in a body that's essentially made for flow and pleasure and joy and relaxation and that's a bit that's a bit different than what happens in a man's body so that's why i wrote the book for women but i also wrote it for men both as a way to see the unique challenges that women in this time face and um, a lot of the stuff that's about the body and relationships is as applicable to men as it is to women so the whole book is essentially an an inquiry into rewilding that's that's why it's called the wild woman's way wild woman not being some crazy fanged creature you know scratching at the walls but the archetype of the the woman that's connected to the natural cycles and rhythms of life and that includes babies and the moon and the ocean and food and pleasure and aliveness in the body so being linked into the uh, both archetypal because the wild woman is an archetype, right? I was trained Jungian, so I'm very into archetypes. Um, so it's the archetype of being in sync with that which is natural. And then from there, there's explorations on dating, relationship, the whole thing we talked about, polarity. There's lots of exercises on on the polarity piece as well in the book. So that's very good for couples. And the whole third part of the book, which I'm so happy about because it was such a fight pushing that through because the I wasn't supposed to have a chapter that's just uh, like a part of the book that's just exercises they were supposed to be in with the chapters but I for one know that I'll never go back into a chapter to find an exercise once I've read the book so uh -huh. I, it's essentially information uh, reflections on certain things and then a whole big chunk of super easy um, things, everything from rituals to embodiment practices to trauma release to engaging with nature. Um, How wonderful. It's, wow. it's really quite yeah. fun. So it's like a manual. It's a manual. Uh -huh. That's what I wanted a manual for women in the 21st That's century. Wonderful. Yeah, and I think yeah, I was going to say when you were describing Wild Women's Way, just being in nature is such a huge oh. part of it because... A lot of people these days don't really interact with nature, nature so their body is yeah, out of sync. Totally. And most people don't move enough and they mm -hmm. move only in linear ways. And in the book, there's a whole section. I developed a whole somatic movement method that's now taught and, uh, and wow. taught by other people. I have teacher training and people are all over the world teaching this somatic modality that has to do with essentially resensitizing the body and releasing trauma and and activating the nervous system in a way so you can create homeostasis wow so there's all of that in the book and it's all delineated as to what does what and why should you do certain so things so incredible and then gives suggestions of simple things to do so and it's so needed i mean 
yeah, like everyone is so in their head these days and everything's about comparison, Yes, comparing. And like you said, social media, and it's so, it's so not based in the body. Yes. It's so based in like an illusion. And the most difficult thing about that illusion in the book, I call, you know, that whole engagement with social media, uh, lifestyle porn. And I say it's as detrimental as the real thing, because you become, you know, in, in, in actual porn, you desensitize. You become desensitized yeah. and you also lose touch with the fact that not every woman looks like a porn star. Right. And that women actually have pubic hair. Right. <laughs> you know, well, yes, you hear about the kids who, oh, yeah. who watch porn who then no longer can get aroused by normal the, Exactly. But that's also bodies. true with the other things, right? With Instagram. When, when all you see is that, you can no longer get aroused, so to speak, by your own dining table. It's so interesting you say that. Yeah, a lot of people that I work with have the same thing. It's like they might have the best, you know, life if they were to just focus on their own yes. life. But then they see yes. something else and it's like, oh, I should be there. Why aren't right. I there? Exactly. They're in Italy. Okay, well, yes. yeah. But see, the thing is the good use, the good use of both lifestyle porn and actual porn <laughs> Because there is good uses for those things, is that you let the beauty, and in the in the porn, you know, men are built differently, so I don't want to open that whole can of worm. But <laughs> there is a beauty, meaning there's an enlivening aspect to seeing somebody mm -hmm. in Italy. Right? Inspiration, inspiration. Right. Exactly. Use it for inspiration instead mm -hmm. of comparison. That's yes, exactly, exactly right. And the same can be done theoretically with porn. This is a very controversial thing, but. Uh, you can say, well, this enlivens my body. Now I take this enlivenment to my chosen partner. Right. Or I take this enlivenment and make music. Right. Um, not replacing, not but replacing, adding. But, and... but using it as yeah. a stimulant, so right. to speak. And you can look at social media and... Um, and see something incredibly, the reason I like Instagram so much, right? I'm a total freak for Instagram, even though I only go on there once a day. But um, it's like, it's beauty. Mm -hmm. It's just, you can curate something that's beautiful and where your entire body gets enlivened by beautiful things, right? You could do the same with cute animals or children or whatever is your right. brand of enlivenment. Right. You can curate a, an a heightened perception and sensual enjoyment, or you can use it uh, as a tool of absolute numbing and discontent. Yeah. And that's true with most things, of course. Yeah, I think you need to be in a good headspace and be conscious when you're using it. Yes. And already be feel whole within yourself and not looking for something that's else right, from it. Right. And 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 it looks the same, but it can feel very different. The, oh my God, I'm not that. I don't have that table. Or the, oh, I can do something like this and have this at home. Exactly. Right. Something that inspires you to create yeah. something yeah. else. Yeah, absolutely. So that in a nutshell is there's a lot more to the book. Or there's chapters on orgasm and there's, there's all kinds of tribe, you know, women's, women being with other women, the pitfalls, the positive aspects so mm -hmm. there's a lot in there mm -hmm. it's uh and so when you do workshops mm -hmm. is it mostly couples or is it um groups of women and then groups of men it's all of that so it's amazing because um it like doubles the creative and who is uh, that there's a man named steve james um who is scottish 
from Shetland, uh, lives in England now, but most of the year we are on the road, of course. And um, his background is very strong in the realms of embodiment, uh, meditation, and he's worked for over 10 years with men, like mostly very high-performing men, on dating and relationship and sexuality and avoiding the mistakes that can cost a man their job or their livelihoods, right? So he's very, very focused um, in his personal work on working with men so that they are not, you know, uh, gripped by their by their stuff, so to mm -hmm. speak. And we do that together as well when we work with people. But his his part of the of the exploration is the man. We do teach men's groups and women's groups together, but he he'll be the main voice for the men um, and he'll do all the instructions for the men on the bodily stuff. And I do the instructions for the women when we teach separate. And then we do couple stuff where we work together. So um, there might be even an exercise where I'm instructing the women and he instructs the men or he instructs the women, I instruct the men. So, and so we play you know, the, the entire spectrum which is also really nice because it's a bit rough sometimes when guys come to a workshop and they're really only there because their women made them, right? And then there's another woman telling them what to do. Uh -huh. So it's nice and, to have them. And man. that's not really and the so way what I like is, it. Um, what are some of the exercises in a couples workshop? I know I've asked that before, but just I want a visual yeah. of what's going on in these couples workshops <laughs> well, you know we just did a video of one so and, and which i've posted so there's actually okay. now a visual of that but what we do is that is, on your website it's on the website it's in the intimacy intimacy section on the website in the first row of those little boxes and one says for men one says for women and the one in the middle says intimacy so there is actually a visual now which is quite fun right. uh because we were in melbourne and we filmed a bit but what we do is we focus on three areas. Um, one is intimacy, and intimacy includes intimacy with oneself, being able to feel your own sensations and emotions, and then intimacy with another. And often you see this, this is a classic tantric trope, right, eye-gazing. Um, there is that as well, but mm -hmm. the eye-gazing is a vehicle for learning how comfortable or uncomfortable are you being with another mm -hmm. human and how available can you be to another mm -hmm. human? Because mm -hmm. if you can't be available and present, you, you don't have to go any further, right? right? You can't have sexual or relational engagement if one of the two people isn't there, right. either on the phone or checked out or thinking about something. So we train actively the muscle of mutual availability and engagement. And that comes, of course, with vulnerability, but it also comes with understanding how would you help somebody get into their body after they've been disembodied all day. So if you want to see a visual, you would have maybe men and women stand across from each other. And I'd instruct the women and instruct the men to feel what their body feels like and pretend they've just come home from a really rough day at work, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask the women, there's preliminary exercises so that everybody can really feel well. I ask the women to feel the men's bodies and feel where would they have to touch them? And there's workshop rules and all kinds of stuff. But uh, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, that, that would lend itself to certain touching, but we keep those areas out. But how would you have to touch a man so he just comes back into your body? 
into his body, not into your body, mm-hmm. um, which is a very different touch from touching somebody for arousal, let's say, mm-hmm. right? So we actively train people and then there's feedback. So they'll touch and then the guy goes, well, that totally didn't do it, right? Or the guy says, wow, that was amazing. I suddenly could feel the energy in my body and my heart opened up. And uh, there we have the famous uh, LA leaf blower, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that's, that's how we would play with the availability. Then the whole second engagement, shall we stop? Yeah. Yeah. So then the second aspect we'll always engage is the heart. So heart connection and also the being aware of contractions and withhold between partners. And you can actually train for that, right? You can train for mutual compassion. And this is part of the generosity and opening oneself generously to another person when appropriate, right? That's where the trust comes in, distinctions come in around, or, you know, what can you trust? What can't you trust? Discernment, if this person can be trusted. Right? So there's a whole set of exercises around that. And then when those two things have been established, then we go to the sexy stuff. And then we actually teach how to create that spark. So there's a whole bunch of exercises. And of course, there are, you know, there's endless ones. And depending on the length of the workshop, it's either a weekend or a five-day or an evening sometimes. We can do more or less, but it's very um, specific step by step. So you learn the principles so you can do it at home. And that's the whole goal is that people um, have available attention, the ability to open their heart and be generous and the tools to create that strong spark so that they can get it on when they want to. (laughs) Right. With an open heart. With an open heart, which is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like often men have to shut that off, right? Yes. Oh, that's a whole other topic we could go in. Maybe we need to <laughs> once talk just about sex. <laughs> yes. Because that's something that women don't always understand. And when they do, that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. in the sexual engagement, mm-hmm. the different entry points into sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to have yes. a round two. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Well, we truthfully could talk to you all day Michaela you are just a wealth of inspiration and knowledge so thank you thank we you. really would would stay here all day but we know we everyone has places to go no? <laughs> but um we're coming to you in Ojai and we're gonna do a round two to get you know the follow-up on all of this Great. and we're definitely gonna get your book and do the manual and all of that so thank you so 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 much for being here we're so grateful great meeting you thank you thank you (laughs) okay thanks everyone for listening 